Live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York, it's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who's spent 44 years writing sports for major newspapers. The last 23 years as a columnist is the New York Post. He's a member of the New York Baseball Hall of Fame. In addition, he hosted sports talk shows for seven years on KFMB in San Diego while working at the Union Tribune. And he is a frequent guest on radio shows and podcasts throughout the country. He has written seven books, spent many years covering the NFL and NBA as well. It's always a pleasure to welcome back one of my favorite writers, Ball Nines, Kevin Kernan, to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Kevin. How you doing? Mark, great to be with you. Uh, just uh, actually, we're up another year, so I think it's 45 years and counting now. Wow. <laughs> Long time. Where does the time go? Unbelievable. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight because your article this week on Ball Nine, Top Down Failure, in my opinion, one of, one of the most accurate takedowns of the New York Yankees I have read. So let's just set that article and, and let's start right at the top. Uh, you write, there are many reasons the Yankees continue to fail after, year after year. One of the game's most enormous payrolls, but arrogance, is at the top of that list. They think they are better than they are, both on the field and especially in the front office. As a result, they have locked themselves up with some horrible contracts as well. This time, they couldn't even make it out of the AL wildcard game. So how much of that arrogance do you think is rooted in the past, as the Yankees obviously only team to win World Series at least four times in a row? They've done it twice. Uh, winning four times in a row from 36 to 39, five in a row from 49 to 53. But they also they include, they have that record for the most World Series appearances. So how much do you think is rooted in the name on the front of the jersey or the interlocking NY? Well, that's the ironic uh, nature of this, Mark. It's, the arrogance is from the newbies, the uh, <laughs> the nerds. It's not, and it's from Cashman. Let's face it. Let's face it. I mean, uh, um, it's the Yankees would be much better off if they had the arrogance of those those great Yankee teams you talked about, because those Yankee teams relied on things that happened on the field. They let their eyes and ears tell them story of the game and and, and anticipation. These Yankees wanted to. These Yankees now in charge. And again, I don't want to under, under, underscore this. The Yankees are overloaded with analytics people. Uh, everyone I talk to in the game says the same thing. They they keep most of them. They keep hitting away down in Tampa. But it's he went. Uh, Cashman went all in on this once. And here's here's the here's where it all started. Once uh, Stick Michael died, he lost he lost the voice of scouting with it. You know that was closest to him. Plus Stick also had. Um, had Hal Steinbrenner's here to a degree, you know, because he because of the dad and the relationship. So that when when Stick died, it went all out the window. Everything became analytics. Everything became more smarter than you. We're going to show you we're smarter than you, and that's how you wind up with trades for Joey Gallo, who struck out 88 times, 188 at bats. I could have told you without you know with, with uh, they wouldn't even have me pay me a penny. 
uh, Joey Gallo would be a, a terrible fit in New York, not only because he can't, you know, the, you're going to see better pitching uh, when he when he's in Texas and they're losing eight to nothing. He's getting a fastball right down the middle. and He's hitting one of his 38 home runs, but it's not going to work in New York. And you saw uh, during that one game wild card when they would pan out to Joey Gallo in the outfield. I actually felt sorry for him when you saw him reading his cheat cards and everything like that. <laughs> Here was a guy over his head. And that gets to my point about numbers, whatever numbers they love, you know, the walks, the home runs, whatever. Uh, the numbers need to be balanced. I'm not saying you don't use numbers, but they need to be balanced by what your eyes are telling you. And it's really both New York teams have, have that issue. Uh, but we'll start with the Yankees first. And, and it's, it's really bad. And maybe, maybe this will be a wake-up call for cash. And I've been – I've been saying this for well over a year, two years, ever since they tried to make uh, Gleyber Torres into a shortstop. Mark, the first time I saw Gleyber Torres was in Trenton because, uh, you know, I do I do my homework. I don't, I'm not just one of these guys that pontificates. I go down to the minor leagues. I watch these kids play when they come into the organization. And I know baseball. I played baseball through college. My kids all played it through college. Uh, I'm not saying I know it as well as the pros do, but I know it better than most writers. You know, 99% of the writers. And the first thing, I, I watched Labor Torres field one ground ball from shortstop. I turned to my uh, brother-in-law who was at the game with in Trent, and I said, he's not a shortstop. He's, he's, too, he, he's too stiff. And, and But they want to show, because they turned shortstop into the NFL. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a zone position with the Yankees. You know, it's not a shortstop. And that's why there was all those little fights with Jeter at the end, because, you know, Jeter wanted to play shortstop his way. They wanted to play it their way. One other quick point on analytics. I heard, on, uh, you know, I've heard from people who know that the Cardinals, before they went on that 17-game run, uh, smart baseball people like Adam Wainwright and Molina went to management, went to the manager and said, listen, enough with the meetings at 1 o'clock. You're wearing us out with all the analytics. Let us just play baseball. And that's why even if you watch the game, you know, it was, it was a good game. They lost one game to the Dodgers. But if you watch that game, Wainwright was positioning his fielders. When was the last time you saw that? That's the story behind the story. And that's what I look and that's what I find. And that's what you'll see at ball nine. Well, that's exactly it. It is the story behind the story. And, and you just mentioned something interesting about Gallo looking at the cheat sheet. Now, you know, I don't want to be that guy like my dad was, oh, the game was better back when, you know, I watched it. Mm -hmm. but, but it was like, like, could you ever see or like the, the reason why guys get to the, the level they get is because of their instinct and the way they play the game. Like, I can never imagine Roberto Clemente relying on someone else to tell him how to play a certain player. I mean, have we taken the instinct? And it's interesting because when Lindor came here to New York, one of the questions were about analytics. And he says, you know, sometimes he just has a feel where the ball is going to go. And he doesn't want to be told where to, to position himself. So what, how do we stop, you know, taking the instinctual part of the game away from the athletes? That's a great question. It's very hard to stop because the owners are, are uh, they're, they're numbers guys. They made money through their numbers, most of them. They're not touch and feel guys. They don't see things like that. So they rely on numbers. So they get sold a bill of goods. And it is a bill of goods. I don't care what it is. You're seeing more and more teams going to veteran guys, uh, managers, uh, you, you know the names. And I wouldn't be surprised if Ron Washington gets a job in San Diego. He almost got it last time. Uh, but, but the owners are being sold on this. 
So as a result, and it's and, and Mark, we don't even see it, but I, I talk to a lot of minor league, you know, uh, you know, scouts that scout organizations. So they're at minor league games. They've told me this year it was the worst minor league season they've ever done, and that goes back to Manfred too screwing up the minor leagues, the things he's done. There's too many guys on, on every uh, team. They don't pitch enough. Uh, uh, one small point on, on the Mets, uh, they just had their instructional league. Sounds good, right? October, instructional league. It's been going on forever. Uh, guys pitch down there, learn some things, face some good competition. No more. Instructional league for the Mets included no games. What it included was a, a learn how to swing and lift the ball tutorial. Yeah. That's what it was. And it was, uh, I actually, I couldn't nail this down, but I heard they, it was really designed for some of their shorter players, which sounds crazy, but they, you know, uh, kind of like, uh, cause they have people that came from the Houston organization and they're trying to tell them that, you know, they made Bregman and Altuve who they are. Uh, Bregman and Altuve made themselves who they are. So, so again, it, it's such a big question and you're taking all the instincts. So getting back to the minor league point, you're creating robots, pitching robots. You see it when these kids come up. It takes a year or two for them to figure anything out because they've been robotic the whole time. And again, this is something I, I this is not something I've been saying recently. I've been saying this six, seven, eight, nine years because I saw where it was going. If you don't pitch in the minor leagues, Jim Cott told me years ago, uh, you know, uh, he, he's pitching for Missoula, Montana. I think it's 1958. Jack McKean's the manager. And he bases loaded, no out, sixth inning. Jack McKean comes out. And says, you got yourself into this, figure out how to get out of it. And that's what he did. That's what the minor leagues are for. Now you've got these, and I'm going to use the word, they're idiots. The idiotic pitching coaches who never, you know, maybe came out of a a driveline academy or something, coming out every time. And I can't tell you how many times this year I've seen a pitching coach come out, you know, when when uh, uh, a guy is okay comes out reminds them of something next pitch home run or big base hit <laughs> let these guys learn the game and and but the game you know until until the owners stamp it down it's not going to stop because the great thing about all the nerds and all the analytics and there's a lot of nerds in media too don't don't underestimate that <laughs> and they all you know if you look closely at some of these guys who've been pushed for gms by i call it regime media now it's regime media it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's who they are. They'll keep pushing these names and these names have been failures or the guys they've hired have been complete failures. Whereas good baseball people are getting bypassed. And the last part of this point is so many good teachers are being thrown away from the game or not being allowed to teach except for a few teams. And one of those teams is the race. Everybody talks about the analytic race. It's not the analytic race. I mean, they do, they make good trades, they scout well, but they also develop well. And that's the key. They keep their development people. They pay them well. They like, they like uh, working in the Sarasota general area, that part of Florida. And, and the Rays develop their players. And that's the difference. That's why the Rays are the Rays. And just with the Yankees uh, losing to, uh, uh, to, to Alex Cora. Alex Cora is always developing his players. I was texting with Alex earlier this week about that win, and he said it was one of the toughest games he ever had. But, the, the, you know, the Red Sox were under man, found a way to beat the Yankees. And that's, that's what it's all about, finding a way, putting it in the players' hands, helping them along. That's, that's not old baseball. That's baseball. It's interesting you just mentioned Cora and, and the Rays because Boone's postgame, was a joke, and oh. I'm surprised that the the Twitterverse didn't blow up 
on what he said. And you, and you called him to task for it. And, and I think maybe one of the reasons is also because you also say that the Yankee you know, fan base already has that ex- expectation of a loss in the postseason. But, but for him to say the league has closed the gap on us, we've got to get better <laughs> in every aspect. You rightfully called him out about closing the gap. You said they've been lapped. But it's interesting. So Boone possesses a, a 601 winning percentage in his four years. Kevin Cash is only two games off of that pace with a lot less payroll. The Red Sox are 20 games off that pace, but you also have to take one year out of Alex Cora thrown in the mix. So here's the interesting point you bring out about uh, Cashman. And you say Cashman usually finds a scapegoat. He did it with Joe Torre at the end of the line. Um, Joe Girardi was all his fault. So Boone, who doesn't have a contract for 2022, might pay the price. So the Yankees, you know, this season spent one day in first place, and that was back in April 5th. Um, The Padres spent 14 days in first, the Mets 91. Uh, Those two teams didn't make the playoffs, so it's a little different. But Luis Rojas and Jace Hindler are already gone. Joe Girardi in 2017 spent 55 days in first place, got into the wild card, came within a game of getting to the World Series, as well as already having a world championship in his pocket, but he was shown the door. So do you think Cashman is going to again use Boone as a scapegoat and show him the door? Very possible, but I have a gut feeling that they're going to try to put it together, maybe give him a one-year extension or something not that big. I can't imagine giving him a bigger extension. It gets back to the original word I started this whole thing with, mm. arrogance. For Boone <laughs> to say something that they've, they've closed the gaps, that's arrogance on Boone's part. And and I tell you what, when I was around the Yankees on a daily basis, if I heard something like that, I would just blow my top as a writer. And you might you might be some good video on that because I would just say, how in the world, that, my next question would be, how in the world could you say that? you've been lapped you haven't there's no gap and you're you're living in a dream world but he does what the nerds want him to do and i don't care what you say when when cashman comes out and says oh well we don't have any influence over the lineup bs bs that's that's why cashman does what he does and again cashman at one time did okay as a gm so he has it within his uh, dna but he had to he, he, uh, my gut feel tells me that he got jealous of all the Billy Beans of the world and the guys in, uh, you know, the guys in, in Tampa for doing it with a lesser payroll. And he wanted to show he could do it, you know, through numbers and things like that. But no, be the Yankee, spend money, go forward. And again, if you're not relying on your scouting people, then you're in big trouble. And, and I won't even get into some of the things I've heard because unless I nail them down, I'm not going to say it in public, but it's absolutely atrocious in some ways, the attitude of the nerds to the scouts in the Yankee organization. And, uh, and, and Boone is a good puppet. So I could see Boone coming back. If not, then they're going to hire another puppet. Will he be in a situation where, you know, it's funny GMs, if they get painted into a corner, like AJ Preller is now in San Diego, because he's, he's the one who's on the, on the hot seat, even though he has an extension. Uh, he, he'll, he'll, he'll make a managerial choice. Now that's a good managerial choice, but you know, hiring Jace Tingler out of the, blue, the days of hiring these guys out of the blue have got to be gone. You have to have some managing experience. And one point on Louis Rojas, when Louis took the job, I, I, I was very impressed. I had a two hour conversation with him at a Starbucks in, in Port St. Lucie, uh, a couple of days before he started working. And I came away from that 
saying Felipe Alusan knows how to manage. He knows what the minor leagues are about. He knows what the major leagues are about. But what happened? What happened is this. If you turn on any Mets game and you saw this, and this is an indication, every time the, the dugout would be panned, you know, with the back shot or whatever, if you see it through the hitter, Louis Rojas is looking down at some papers. He's never watching the freaking game. And and uh, because they're, th- they're throwing so much information at him, he's trying to make these decisions based off numbers, pre-scripting instead of watching the game, seeing what his eyes see. And even Gabe Kapler said this year, when he was in Philly, he spent too much time on the numbers. Now he's watching the game. If you see him now, he's actually watching the game. Bochy watching the game. Snicker watching the game. You got to watch the game. I mean, I hate to be so basic and stupid, but you got to watch the game. They don't watch the game, F these guys. They're looking down at numbers. Watch the game. One time I was on a trip with the Yankees, and um, it was a long trip. And after a few days, I noticed one of their nerd guys, big, you know, high-ranking Yankee guy, doing batting practice, never watching batting practice. I always watch batting practice. I want to see things happening, who's doing what. And and one day I went up to him. I said, hey, by the way, do you ever watch baseball? You know, because he's always got his screen open doing batting practice. He didn't like it, you know, and, you know. Kind of like uh, that. That tells you where I am with the Yankee and the nerds. But uh, but I, I couldn't couldn't resist. I mean, you got to watch baseball. That's number one. And here's the other problem with the Yankees because we, we 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 let off with the Yankees. How much baseball do you think Hal Steinbrenner watches? Do you think he watches the games? I don't think so. I think he may get uh, reports, clip, you know, see the highlights. Does he sit and watch a four-hour Yankee game? That's impossible to watch. Where where Matt Blake is going to the mound thirteen times, or even whatever the, the, the number is, you know, we're sending people out there. And uh, watching uh, Garrett Cole, we haven't gotten to the, uh, you know, Garrett Cole, his situation where he's overanalyzed. Uh, so, so, so it's a big problem. And now they're going to expand the pay- playoffs, it looks like. So the Yankees will get some heat off them. They may sneak in and win one of these things. But I don't, I don't really see it happening. And if they expand the playoffs, I think that's another black eye in, on baseball. Wow, just so much to unpack right there. So one of the things you, you just touched on it is Luis Rojas. So as long as you went there, let's talk a little bit about that. You know, um, Terry Collins was out at, at uh, City Field uh, second to last week of the season because he was doing radio work for the Mets. And I got a, a chance to speak to Terry down on the field. And we we're talking about Luis mm-hmm. Rojas. And he said he felt badly for Luis because he said there's not a better baseball mind in the game right now he says he he goes Luis Rojas knows the game inside and out but you mentioned it he's looking at those papers and I said to him I said you know what is the point of hiring a guy that knows baseball if you don't let him do his thing so like for me is it does a, a Tony La Russa or a Dusty Baker have to go to the front office and say listen I've been in this game before these analytic nerds were born I know baseball. Let me do my thing. That's why you hired me. And they, because they have that cachet at least, and maybe an owner will listen. And if they win the World Series, does the paradigm shift? Do we ever get back to that point where we have the Buck Showalter? Listen, the fact that Don Mattingly is told by a, a group of analytic guys on a team that has great pitching not to bunt and, and the amount of one-run games they lose tells you all you need to know about the game of baseball. Exactly. And uh, I'm a little surprised that uh, Jeter allows that to happen. If I were running a team right now, the first thing I would do, obviously, you got to have the pitching. We all know that. 
You got to have the defense. That's another thing the Rays work on is defense. And Kevin Cass is a young manager who works with the analytics people and is successful. So you can do it. I'd like to see younger guys, like you just said, Louis Rojas. And that's a great story you told about Terry Collins. Cause, and I can guarantee you, when you asked Terry Collins that question, and I had a great rapport with Terry through the years, Terry gave you that funny look like, oh, you know, like, you know, sort of laughing, <laughs> like, you know, but that's the problem, of course. They don't let these guys manage. They don't. And here's where I think Louis Rojas failed. And I'm not saying it's easy, but this is where he failed. At some point, he should have done exactly what you just said. He should have went into that mm-hmm. that GM's office. And again, who are these GMs they're hiring? Guys, I never, you know, basic guys is Jared Porter, always pushed by the regime media. Uh, uh, the other guy that, uh, you know, it's got the DUI now, Zach guy, always pushed by the regime media. Because you know why these guys are pushed? Because they're assistant GMs and they give information to the writers. And the writers want to keep their information flowing. So they push these guys as GM. It's not because they, they're good. They're not good at it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, but that's how these guys get hired. And and so Louis Rojas should have fired back and said exactly what you just said. Hey, I've been around the game my whole life. I know what I'm doing. Let me fail or succeed on my own. Let me have it on my shoulder. That's what Louis Rojas should have done. Maybe he did it. Maybe they shot him down. But the funny thing was the last couple of games I was watching the Mets. And uh, I again, back to I, I see a lot of things when I covered Mets games. Uh, I would always sit way down the third baseline away from the other writers. So I could look in the <laughs> dugout because to me, a, lot, a lot's going on in the dugout. You're not just watching the game. You're watching the dugout. Uh, you're not playing with Twitter. I mean, I, I can multitask. I can play with Twitter and still watch the game, but you got to really watch the game. And so the last couple of days I noticed, wow, Rojas is really talking. He was having an animated conversation with Marcus Stroman. They were laughing, having some fun. And I said, that's the real Louis Rojas. He knows he's fired. It's over, so he's just being himself now. So that's that's where they make their mistake. We'll see who they hire. The obvious hire to me, because uh, let's spin it forward a little bit, and, and people may not, believe, you know, may get upset by this, but to me, the obvious hire is right under their, their nose, Carlos Beltran. Uh, uh, you know, and hire Carlos, bring Louis back as the bench coach, because they want to keep him in the organization, and, and then you have him getting some experience that he can give to Beltran, because Beltran has a great understanding of the game. A.J. Hinch is back. Torres is back. Why can't Beltron be back? You know, so uh, that that's my that's my recipe to help the Mets. And that's that's some free average, you know, free advice I'm giving Steve Cohen because he needs a lot of advice. Don't listen to Francisco Lindor as much as he wants to listen uh, to me. And I also think Beltron has a lot of uh, weight with Lindor. Because, you know, uh, you know, from being from Puerto Rico, the respect factor. So I think to me, that's an obvious hire. The Mets should just do it tomorrow, you know, bring Beltran in. And people are whining about how can you go back to this. Too bad, because Beltran's <laughs> a good baseball guy. Even more. I'm, you know, I don't even know why I, 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 you know, scripted like some questions for you, because every single answer leads to five or six more questions. Because <laughs> I just love your baseball mind. And one of the things you mentioned earlier, which I was going to go back to, was about how these analytics guys don't even watch the game. You don't even know if Steinbrenner watches the game, but you brought up something so important. That's why one of the things I love is whenever I'm covering a game and you're there to watch you work, and you mentioned that you can multitask. There is a group of media that I can tell you, and I won't name names, that do are more focused on socializing between themselves than watching a game or looking up, spending 
you know, 25 minutes in a rabbit hole looking for a statistic while four innings of play have gone on and they have not seen anything of the game. So, yeah, that's that's a, a big problem, too, because these are the people that are shaping public opinion because they're putting stuff on Twitter. Um, and on top of it, the last two years, they haven't been in a locker room and they're forming opinions on who's a cancer in the locker room without even being mm-hmm. there. So, so that that's another issue. Um, but one of the things you also mentioned about, you know, when the Yankees lost to Michael, you mentioned in the article, um, and this is a direct quote, um, the Yankees have a lot of compliant people on their staff who buy into all that analytical BS and none of them are teaching. That is a huge, huge problem. Um, you know, you mentioned going down to the minors in the instructional league. I mean, I've had the ability this year to go out and, and cover Atlantic League games and, and see the job that Wally Backman is doing. And you see the hit and run. You see stolen bases. You see guys hitting the cutoff. These are guys who failed at the AAA level for the most part that never made it to the majors. These are, you know, they're, they're looking for that second shot. You know, I think the other thing is on the, the and this is the question after all of that, is do you think there is an air of entitlement to these players now that they think, listen, I'm here because you wanted me here the way I play and this is what I do and, you know, you value the home run and that's what I do, you know, and, and all the other parts of the game be damned. No, absolutely. And a couple things. Uh, the, the Mets, they, they now the, not going in the clubhouse. If I were, you know, if I were still super active going to games every day, I would be on my soapbox every day with the other writers saying, we got to get back in the clubhouse. That's the number one goal. We got to get back in the clubhouse. Instead, you know, the, 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 we have the, the, the Zoom, uh, the on the field stuff. You've got to be in the clubhouse to see what's going on. I can tell just from my experience. Mets have clubhouse problems. I won't, I won't get into them because I haven't been in the clubhouse to nail it down, but just, I can just see they have clubhouse issues. There's no doubt about it. Um, and, and that's got, the writers have to get back in the clubhouse. Will they get back? I don't know, because once the players have this great, uh, like you were just saying, they run everything now. So they're, they're going to run management. They're going to run, you know, the media, uh, you know, they don't have to worry about a thing now. They don't have to worry about maybe an argument spilling over. And and this is where it went all wrong for the Mets and the media, in my mind. When Lindor had his fight with McNeil Neil. and gave that B, BS excuse, rat, raccoon, whatever the hell it was. Again, I'm not there, so I can't say, you know, I, 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 I wasn't there to, to fight back. But I think if I was there, I would have just, when he brought that up, I would say, listen, I don't know if you take us for idiots or what. You had a fight with the guy. What was the fight about? Was it about him getting in your way in the ground ball that you just uh, kind of gave him the the, the 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 dirty look afterwards? What was the fight about? You know, and then and, and but they ran with the, they made it like a fun story, rat raccoon, blah, 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 you know, and that's that's such a disservice to the fans, such a disservice to the game, and the service to 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 really uh, your job. So so you know. I'm sure I'm not going to make any friends with this, but that's life, you know? And uh, so that's a big problem. And you got to, the players have to, that's why guys like when it, it hasn't worked out totally for him, but that's what Tony Lewis was trying to do when he had to, when he had the players swing at a 3-0 pitch and avoid and just ignore the take sign. He, he knows that 
doing something like that, the next game, his star shortstop may be hit with a pitch because the other team is mad at that situation. It's not about the player that did it. The player that did it has, you know, he's got some issues in his past anyway. So he needs to grow up. You know, I've talked to some coaches out in Chicago, and and, and that was the situation where Tony kind of laid down the law, and, and they did well. The, the, the White Sox did well for the injuries they had. Dusty's the same way. Dusty will say, Dusty will work with, has an ability. He's got the John Wooden abilities. Was always loved John Wooden. He's got the ability to work with management and players. And he can tell stories like no one else. And he's been there. He's like the guy that's been in every big moment. So you could just see his rapport with the players is great. And what does he get to do? He gets the players to relax and be themselves. Plus, let's face it, that's a great hitting team. He's got a lot of great veteran players. And that's the secret to managing. And, and that's where we're at right now. So you need to, these players want to be guided. And that point I made about the Yankees and some of the people being compliant, that, you know, that was made to me by a couple couple uh, talent evaluators who have seen things going on. It's not me just talking off the top of my head. So there's all kinds of issues here. And they're all fixable issues if people have the guts to fix them. Again, spot on. The rat raccoon drove me insane. I was on that Zoom. And to your point, the only and I had my hand up. They called on Ken Davidoff prior to me. Ken Davidoff was seven questions in before anyone pressed Lindor on it and said, "Come on, what do you really expect us to believe that?" And then Lindor went through it again. He goes, "Come on." He goes, "Do you take us for idiots?" I mean, credit Ken Davidoff. He was mm-hmm. the only one. Yep. I, I lowered my hand because that was exactly where I was going. And listen. I, I love Francisco Lindor. Every single time I've been there and he's been out on the field, you know, he's stopped. He's taken the time. He's an honest guy. Yep. I, you know, I, I don't believe it was his idea. You know, I don't even know where that came from, but you're right. Went off the rails in a, in a big way, but then they, they actually went on a winning streak after that. So that was a little crazy, but um, well, the thing I, is though, the thing, thing is Mark, that, that if you, if you allow that to happen and you allow them to, to treat you like that, then, then you, you, you know, you, you're giving up and, and good for Ken. You know, I know Ken right. a long time. Ken would, Ken is like me. He would ask that question. And, yep. and, and, um, and, and, and it's, it's part of like, you know, I can't tell you how many arguments I've had with players through the years in the clubhouse, you know, and, uh, uh, or discussions you can call them, but that's what happens when you, when you, it's like a, a few years ago when, remember when Cespedes came out and said, he's not talking to the media ever again. So there was like five or six of us at that point. I went right to him. I said, what do you mean you're not talking to the media? So you're never going to tell the fans anything about your game other than your Twitter. I said, well, that's ridiculous. You know, and so, so, so you, got, you got to hold these guys accountable. Accountability is a big thing in everything in life. And it certainly is on the baseball field. And the teams that are held accountable, and that's where Louis Rojas messed up too. Now, I'm sure there's an influence with the Mets. The Mets should always kind of do a little bit like Seinfeld, you know, uh, their first reaction, they should do the opposite of, because it always happens that way with the Mets, you know, and, and, and it's not just one person. It goes on and on and on. And I think we've seen two, by the way, for, for all the faults and all the, all, all the crushing that he took, Jeff Wilpon wasn't the only problem with the Mets. I mean, we're seeing that this, this is an organizational failure of great degree. I mean, and, and one other point too, this is a huge point and I know baseball fans want to listen to uh, baseball things as well. The secondary lead is pretty much dead in New York. Both teams ran the bases terribly all the way through. 
judge being thrown out at home, you can you can blame Phil Nevin. I get it, you know. But Nevin saw that ball come off the wall, get past the left fielder, and 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 it was it had some height to it that ball. But if you watch the overhead thing, and and I know, and I love Judge. I think Judge is he really means well. But again, this is where the comp- gets back to your compliancy thing. Nobody holds anybody accountable. Early in uh, when when um, Torres struck out in a pivotal game late in the year, the ball went to the backstop. He could barely jog the first base, and he was thrown out. In the same game, Brett Gardner, same thing happened to Brett Gardner, and he ran the first base and made, made it safely. I watched that specifically, and again, this is what I look for. He runs past first base. He's thrown out. I watched the Yankees' first base coach turn his back and just walk into the dugout, and then I watched Torres walk into the dugout. Nobody from, uh, you know, Boone should have been in his face. The first base coach should have been in his face on the foul line saying, you got to run here. He should have been taken out of that game. Now, that's my point. These guys don't take secondary leads. If you look at the overhead picture of, of Judge running on that uh, on that, that hit by Stanton, he, he immediately stands straight up and kind of looks at the ball and then starts running instead of moving with the pitch. And secondary. The secondary lead, because they're not they're not being taught that. They're not, it's not just judges' fault. They're not being taught. It's not an initial uh, reaction. Where you watch some of these other teams on the bases, their secondary lead, uh, and you saw it with the Rays and the Red Sox. Uh, you know, Bogart, perfect example, scoring from first on, on the Verdugo double. Great base running, the way he cut the bases. All these little things add up. And if you're not doing them, and all, all, the, all my days in spring training with the Yankees uh, and even the Mets, very rarely did I see the kind of um, um, uh, approach of this is how you do the drills. It, it's more of a laissez-faire. One time, it's, it's funny, two years ago, I think it was two years ago, I you know, with the Mets, uh, they kind of changed the rules for us where we could go. So you had to stay back. And, uh, so I would go to the ballpark and I could see the whole all the fields. And I was saw, I saw the Mets doing PFP, pitchers fielding practice. I took a little video of it, put it on Twitter. Within 30 seconds, I got a note from Jim Cott saying, that's terrible. They're not even running, <laughs> you know, and, I, and I, I'm thinking to myself, that's exa- that's an old school guy really realizing how important P- PFP is. The scariest PFP I ever saw was I was at the Phillies one time in Clearwater and I went to the backfields because I was doing a piece on Darno. Um, and I was looking for some people and I was watching some PFP. Roy Holiday running PFP was like frightening. This guy got it man. he was like into it so much. But all that, all these little things have been chipped away at the game, the things we loved about the game, except for some organizations. I'm not saying it's across the board, but that's a that's a long answer to your question. But it goes all the way back to what I always say. Fundamentals are important. If you don't teach them, you're going to lose. It's going to catch up to you. Baseball is undefeated in that department. Again, more to unpack. So you mentioned the fact that you know, about the secondary lead and, and breaks off, off of the bat. And and not the hustling and how no one in the dugout went after it and you know went after him and as soon as you said that it flashed back to the last home series of the Mets and again looking into dugouts and I, I I might be wrong with the Cardinal player one of the Cardinal players did not hustle on a play I think it might have been Harrison Vader I'm not sure but he got an earful from Yadier and Molina in that dugout. And to the yep. point where it looked like they almost were going to have a fight, but Yadar Molina was not going to accept that. And, and, you know, that is what, you know, leadership can do as well. You know, sometimes it doesn't have to be the manager, but sometimes, you know, you, you know, I think 
some of the managers are afraid that the players' egos are such that if they start to sulk and the, the performance, you know, starts to dip, they're the guys that are going to be on the hot seat where they're actually doing the right thing. So it's interesting that Which you gets, Well, that, that gets back to your point. That gets back to your point about the players and, and having – the reason why you're a manager. And, again, it's best if it comes from the players. And, and again, not to pick on Aaron Judge because he does so many things right and he hustles and plays a great right field, and I want to make that clear. But if you remember early in the year when he was thrown out of home on the third base play and Eduardo Perez, who was doing the game – put up the video and said bad secondary lead here. And then judge kind of shot back at him like, Oh, you know, these old time players, blah, blah, blah. Well, I forget exactly what he said. Instead of just saying, yeah, you know what? Cause he's again, he was straight up and, and, and that, that it's, that's a huge thing for guys who know the game. You look at pictures. And again, I'm not saying everybody can be this way, but look at pictures of Luke Brock running. Luke Brock mm. was almost on an angle, a 45 degree angle forward. That was, inc- you know, that that's the other thing. And again, there's so much to talk about, but you know how easy it is to steal bases against this generation of players between, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to some catchers down the road. One of the pieces I'm going to do for ball nine is uh, about the, uh, on one leg crap that they're doing. <laughs> and you could steal all day long. And in the playoffs, you could steal all day long. Mookie Betts stole uh, last night on a play and made a funny, awkward slide in a second and was still safe by a mile. Um, you know, I didn't, I think he didn't know if he was going to be so safe. Do I even have to slide? And he got deked or whatever. But you can steal second and third, and which brings us to Randy Rosarina. That's what I love about Randy Rosarina. He stole home on the, on the Red Sox when they fell asleep. And that's, 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 there's so many ways. I've said it for years. No one's listened. Maybe someone will listen, but this, the new steroid is base running. And you can take such advantage of defenses. Nobody can hold you on. Relief pitchers can't hold you on. They, they're terrible at it. Um, and, and just like you could take advantage, uh, you know, we ripped Joey Gallo, so let's give Joey Gallo credit. If he bunted, if he bunted once a game, he would hit about 30, 40 points higher because it, it's all there for him. And then that would keep him locked in. It happened so much. I'm, I've seen it through the years. You bump one down the line. Next time up, you're staying on the ball ball, and all of a sudden you're hitting a line drive somewhere. The line drive has to come back to baseball, and the uh, base running has to come back to baseball. Again, just when you're talking about Gallo taking advantage of bunts, it, it, it triggered a conversation I had with someone the other day that there's no room in this game right now for a player like Brett Butler. But yet, Brett Butler was an on-base machine, and he would use the bunt you know, once a game, and he would get on base and steal second, and it was like it was like an extra inning, a start of an extra inning game. It was a leadoff hitter at second base with nobody out. And those runs score. But for some reason, you know, the analytic guys say it's not worth the risk. And it, it's, just, it's just crazy. But not only that, you, you mentioned about the catchers and the, the, the one leg and, and how they steal bases. But plays at the plate. Now, people don't realize it. I mean, you can point to any one game in the season that a team loses. But I've never seen a catcher in the Met Yankee game, do what Sanchez did at a play at the plate stood up. He had the ball way before I believe the base runner. If I remember, I'm getting old. I think it was VR. It was coming home. And Sanchez took a step backwards off the plate and missed the tag. The Yankees lose that game. Had they won that game, they have home field advantage against the Red Sox. So you're right. The, you know, baseball, my day, have to be the best defensively up the middle. Catcher, second base, shortstop, center field. 
When you have a guy like Sanchez behind the, the plate, that flies in the face of every baseball man's idea of, of how to build a team. How did the Yankees get to that point where they had such a storied, you know, history of catchers? Yeah, it's really amazing. What he said, what has he hit over the last three, four years? Like two hundred one, two. We haven't yeah. got to his offense, but yep. he, he's avoiding. He's obviously avoiding getting hurt there or whatever in his mind, avoiding getting hurt. It's kind of like a. Have you noticed too at second base? Because you bring up a good point. At second base, it used to be you threw in the second base and you tagged the guy as he slid into the bag. Now. Because of the nerds, and I, you know, I haven't studied it enough to understand it, but I figured if it works for about a hundred years, it's okay. <laughs> now all these guys are coming across the bag and making a tag way before the bag, and then they're holding on to them, you know. So that's that's the game plan now. Whereas I guess they're thinking if you go get the ball, it's going to make it an easier tag. Whereas, you know, when I through my coaching days, I always uh, uh, with all my kids too. I had this little drill with, with, with young players, you know, I would take the fastest kid, think he was the fastest kid. And you, you, you know, you set him up where he's only got to go 10 feet, you know, and give him a head start. And then, um, you, you, I would stand behind and throw the ball and the ball would always beat him. And that was my point to him was throw the ball. Don't run the ball in, don't do this, you know, throw the ball. But now that's a little nerd point, but it's changed the way the game is. And maybe, in defenses, because again, I don't know, and they don't let us fuck their assistant coaches anymore. Um, um, maybe they're teaching Sanchez stupid, something like that, or something got crossed, you know, the wires got crossed. <laughs> uh, I, I know it's the player, and I believe me, I saw Benny Santiago through the years become a, a, a love the sweep tag, and they fall in love with the sweep tag and things like that. But a lot of times it's what they're being taught, and it's not being taught correctly. And it gets back to, Arm, we have got, you know, there's so much uh, the arm injuries. Why are there so many arm injuries now? I remember Sandy Alderson about seven, whatever, many years ago in the Mets clubhouse in spring training saying, we're going to get to the bottom of these uh, Tommy John surgeries and we're going to eradicate this. They've gotten worse. They've gotten worse. And the Mets medical situation has gotten worse. I mean, when you have that situation where the GM was kind of calling out the players, the fake GM was calling out the players this year. I mean, uh, I think that essentially uh, that, that that was something DeGrom didn't like, I'm sure. And uh, so so whatever they try to revolutionize, for the most part, they destroy. And uh, that's what's happening in baseball. I get it. I get the uh, lift. You know, I get the launch angle to some degree. And certain times it's well worth it, especially with the Super Bowl they're playing with. But for the most part, the the, the inability to make contact hurts more teams and it helps by getting that lift. And um, and even the Rays, all, all my praise of the Rays. My one question with the Rays, and you've seen it a few, in a few games, you saw in that last game with the Yankees. Uh, by the way, the Rays did a great job. How about that, Getting uh, being uh, caught up on? Aaron Boone couldn't get his team ready to win those games. When with Kevin Cash, his team was, was meaningless for his team, they came in, you know, they came in on fire. They wanted to knock the Yankees out there, and they went two out of three. But in that last game, this is my point. Sometimes the Rays don't make enough contact. Sometimes they don't take that bunt. And they were, I think they were 0 for 11 in that game with runners in scoring position. Both the Yankees would have been in worse situations. So, so there's so much about teaching the game that's important. And, uh, and, and that's, that, that, to me, that's the bottom line. Until the Yankees and Mets start teaching the game better, uh, they're going to have these problems. 
And also, you almost have to re-educate the coaches because these coaches, Phil Nevin, Gary DeSarcina, they grew up in an era where a ball was hit a certain way and a certain uh, they could gauge the speed of the runners. They knew that that guy would score. I, I asked a, a third base coach that a few years ago. I said, yeah, a few guys thrown out of home. I think I know why. And he goes, oh, yeah, what do you know? And I said, you're gauging in your head what you remember from 50 years of baseball. Uh, that this guy should be safe, but because they don't get good secondary leads, they don't cut the bag right, and they're lazy sometimes, they're out. And he just looked at me, bingo. That So in their defense, it's not being taught right by most organizations. So it, it's really, it's a great game if you let it be a great game. And if you make it a terrible game, it's going to be a terrible game. Again, great stuff there. And, and um, you, know, you wonder if there ever be like, what the Royals used to do with their baseball academy, where they would teach all these little skills. You know, by the time the guys got into the minors, they knew how to cut the base. They knew how to, you know, set up the relay. They knew how to, which is a lost art. And the only player I've seen it to this day that still does it is VR at third base when that throw is coming in, how he'll drop his leg across the bag so you can't get in there. Nobody does that anymore. But that was the, the way third base used to be uh, played. Great point. Great, yeah, great point. And the Royals, uh, the Royals, you're right. That's that's it. Somebody should go. One of the nerds should do a, uh, his thesis on what the Royals did, and maybe come up and figure out and and, and try. And plus, don't forget the Royals had Hal McRae, who who mm-hmm. ran the show in that clubhouse and everything like that. And you get, and you have that uh, a leader like George Brett said many times. Um, you know, I knew people who covered the, the Royals on a daily basis when they go over. And he says, "Don't talk to me. Talk to that guy over there. He's he's our leader." And that was Hal McRae. So, uh, so yeah, you, all this stuff can be taught. Um, uh, it, it, the players have want to accept it, and and uh, and you got to sell them on it. And uh, you know, and like you know, like Garrett Cole, where do we go with Garrett Cole from here? I mean, what, you know, this guy really stunk it up and 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 couldn't command his. Garrett Cole could not command his fastball. If that's got so much to do with the junk that they put on the ball, wow, what a mistake by the by the Yankees. I think that's a mental thing with Garrett Cole. I think he, he overthinks. He's a classic. I've had many conversations through, through the years with him. Wonderful guy. I'll talk your ear off about the analytics of the game and baseball and pitching. But he overthinks everything. Instead of just saying, you know what? I'm Garrett Cole. I'm going to strike your ass out. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and he doesn't do that. Now, he, I did know this. And, again, this is why my information, you know, is kind of interesting. Um, you know, I knew from, from someone – uh, that that uh, Matt Keogh, the former pitcher, uh, they through a relative of Garrett Cole, they became friends. Garrett Cole and Matt Keogh, and Matt Keogh was like a sounding board for him on how to pitch and and really, you know, kind of blend both worlds, new world, old world. And, and he was a big influence on his career. But then Matt passed away about a year and a half ago or so, and 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 and, and Garrett lost that that sounding board. And you can see. When I look, you know what I you know what word comes to my mind when I'm watching Garrett Cole pitch. The word that comes to my mind is confusion. He, he looks like a man confused, doesn't know what he's capable of doing, and until he figures it out, he's not going to be successful. And that gets back to your earlier point, where you know certain managers don't let pitchers pitch through tough things. Like all of a sudden, a quality start now is down to five innings. And, and two or three <laughs> runs, you know, if Bob, you know, I can't imagine Bob Gibson and Tom Seaver giving up three runs in five innings and being satisfied and looking at the stat. Well, that's a quality start. Um, you know, 
the, that's the other thing. Like, we see more arm injuries. And granted, I guess maybe players, because they weren't making millions of dollars, probably pitched through, you know, things that players don't. And, and it's another thing. You take a look at the Atlantic League, and I'll never forget this. We were down there, um, and LJ Mazzilli, Lee Mazzilli's kid, was having a, a – um, a streak he had hidden, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 23, 24 consecutive games. And we saw him in the post game, and his wrist was completely bandaged. And he's been playing with a, a wonky wrist for probably three weeks during this entire streak. At the same time, J.D. Davis couldn't get back on the field because he was hit by a pitch, you know, on his hand and almost lost half a season because of it. How much does mm-hmm. money play into the fact that, you know what? I'm a little injured here. I'm not going to play. I, you know, I have my, you know, the agents dictating, you know, how many pitchers pitchers can throw. It's just uh, where, how, how did we get to this point? Well, uh, I, I'm not sure. I don't know off the top of my head. If JG Davis is a free agent, he's probably looking ahead and saying, let, let me get healthy for next year. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and a big part of that, the players, I have a good friend in the game, smart, one of the smartest baseball men I know, former pitcher, and he keeps telling me his, his mantras, excuse me, he goes, we keep lowering the bar. And that's exactly what's happening, whether it be the, you know, uh, quality start. We're, we're, you know, John Lowe, I love the writer, John Lowe. He came up with that, though. It wor- and it was okay when he came up with that, but it's the worst stat in baseball. To me, a quality start is when you pitch long enough and your team wins. That's a quality start. I don't want to hear anything <laughs> else. It's all about winning. It's all about winning. I don't want, like it, it's about winning. Uh, you know, the Dodger pitcher, you're right, is the left-hander. He wins. They find ways to win. He, you know, uh, good pitchers find a way to win. And getting back to Garrett Cole, he's found a way to lose. Um, you know, and, and despite all his talent and all his money. So if they continue to lower the bar and, and, and there's so many, here's the other thing you haven't gotten to, but how has the game changed? Not only from years ago, but there was a trainer, you know, uh, the famous Yankee trainer through all the years, you know, you see him in the 78. I talked to Goose Gossage recently about that 78 game. What a, what a, what a thrill that was. And the, the sound of walking into the stadium and it never changed with that crowd. The low murmur of anticipation and nervousness was incredible. Uh, Gene Monaghan and, and Gene came out with Bucky Dent and, um, you know, put, put the ice on, uh, you know, the freeze on his foot after he fouled it off. And by the way, let's get this straight too. Chris Roy Wright told me this right to my face. It wasn't Mickey Rivers bat that Bucky did to home run Rick. It was, it was Roy White's bat in batting practice that day. Roy White had a, 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 a shipment of bats that he wasn't thrilled with earlier in the season. They were similar to Mickey's bats. He gave them to Mickey. Mickey, <laughs> Mickey, uh, Mickey liked the bat. Doing batting practice that day, um, and, and I'm going to drop some knowledge on you. During, during batting practice that day in 1978, um, um, Bucky was scuffling badly. And so Mickey and Roy were talking to him and said, hey, try this bat. And they gave him a bat. And he, oh, I like to feel this. Boom. Started hitting good in batting practice, took it into the game. Well, it turns out that was the batting practice bat of that model, Roy White's model. So he fouls the ball off. He goes, you know, there's that delay in the game. And Mickey, who's smart, a smart baseball player, Mickey looks and goes, hey, man, you, your bat's chip. Why are you using that bat? That's the BP bat. Here. And he get, get, here's the gamer. And he, so he, he proceeds to give him the gamer, 
which, you know, is, is a more pristine bat. And that, that, that was then all of a sudden he goes to the plate. Next swing, he becomes Bucky bleeping down. So that was Roy White's bat. So that's just a little, little point of factor. But again, that's players looking for every advantage they could get. Now they don't do that as much. And they don't, I don't think they help each other out as much because they don't know as much. And Villar, you make a good point. Villar, Villar I, he's kind of like love him or hate him because he'll do some things yeah. that you say, that's absolutely insane. But I Worst think in his running, mind, right? yes, I, but I think in his mind, he sees things that maybe used to work and, 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 and it's not, maybe not his fault, but all of a sudden it's terrible base running. But that's, but give me that player any day of the week. You know what I mean? Uh, that player is going right. to take some chances and make some things happen, like a Rosarina. Uh, you know, how about this for the Yankees, too? We, we haven't touched this at all. How about the fact that the Rays, who have no money, are going to have Wander Franco and a Rosarina for all of the next, who knows how many years, depends on the CBA and all those things. But they're going to have two superstar young players just you know, beating the Yankees up for the next few years as well. So, so, um, you know, it's like, uh, that's the beauty. If you work around the edges now with certain things and you, you make trades for those kind of players or you sign those kind of players, it can, it can still be a beautiful thing. I mean, how about the Red Sox taking Whitlock on the Yankees and the Whitlock actually <laughs> made in the rule five draft Whitlock made made the Red Sox season. He, he became, you know, Alex told me, he said, that was the hardest game I ever managed. And, and taking out Lavaldi there, getting back to the quality sword thing was so difficult, but I knew it was only one game. If it was a, if, if it was a playoff series, I would have left them in. And that was a tough thing to do, but we had to go there. So, so, you know, and then he brought Whitlock in to make a statement. I believe he, he, he will say he won't, but I know Alex for a long time and he's very competitive. He made a statement like, okay, Yankees, here's your guy we stole from you. Goodbye. See you. He's going to close it out. Um, and, uh, but how about the Yankees losing that kind of talent among, amongst all their nerds? You know, obviously thinking he wasn't good enough. And, and somebody will say, oh, it's rule five. It happens. It doesn't happen. You've got to know your own organization better than you know any other organization. That was always Stick Michael's creed. Know your own organization better than the other organizations, and that, and you get many different eyes on it, and those things don't happen. So, so it's uh, when you talk about uh, you know other teams are caught up. No, no, you've let them catch up, and and, and you're at fault. It's your mistakes. You should be held responsible, and uh, we'll see where Castron goes from here because I got a feeling that he may go a little bit more baseball oriented because he knows it's uh, it's it's uh, it's put up or shut up time. Yeah, and you made that point about Woodlock in the article as well about the competitiveness of Cora, and I love that you pointed that out and you brought it up here as well. All right, a couple more questions before we let you go. So where do the Yankees go from here? Obviously, they're going to take a look at it, but Judge is um, you know, going into his free agency year next season. Do you offer him an extension now? Do you let him you know, play out you know, looking for that big contract, or do you trade him before he hits free agency? Well, I was an advocate for signing him earlier a few years ago and offering that extension. I mean, if you can't, again, getting back to knowing your own players, if you couldn't see he's the heart and soul of the team, then, then you got a mistake. So I don't know what they're going to do. He obviously wants to stay here. They can just, you know, they, the, the Yankees, uh, unless things change with the CBA, the Yankees, you still have the hammer. Um, but you, you got to keep judge. Um, although I would say that a lot of smart teams, if judge did hit free agency, 
man, he'd be the kind of guy that I would scoop up immediately, especially <laughs> if I was like the Giants or something, something like that. So he could go play back home in Northern California. Uh, uh, you know, and I, and I would also, um, you know, the Yankees, the big problem with the Yankees is up the middle. Um, and I'm glad you asked this question because I forgot about it, but I'm hearing rumors that the Yankees want to go after Javi Baez. And, um, that makes sense. If you think about it, it, it corrects the shortstop situation. It corrects the bait to some degree. It corrects the crappy base running situation. Cause he's, you know, he can really run the bases, Javi. And it also corrects his focus situation because Javi, I think, can get disinterested if the team's not in a kind of pennant race or whatever. And um, uh, so they need to fix up the middle. If you add a Javi Baez, um, all of a sudden you're stronger up the middle. You put Torres back where he belongs, where he played a good second base, by the way. Um, you still got your issues in center field. You bring back Brett Gardner, and this might upset people, but you bring back Brett Gardner, but not as a starter. He's your fourth or fifth outfielder, and he plays twice a week, maybe. You know, that's that's. And then if you get into jam, he, he fills up. So they need they need to do something about center field. Aaron Hicks, another signing where the Yankees were just so thrilled to sign Aaron Hicks. Complete disaster. He's always hurt. You know, um, uh, until he he. Uh, and once the guy's always hurt, they just don't stop getting hurt. Especially they get a certain age. So you can't count on Aaron Hicks. So center field is a problem. So you're gonna have to find a way to fix that. Catching, uh, you got to have a serious heart-to-heart talk with Gary Sanchez. See where he is mentally, see where he is physically, and uh, you know he's basically become Jesus Montero. So uh, you, you got to pick yourself up a real. You can't Higgy can't be your catcher, and you got to tell uh, why we're at it. You got to tell Garrett Cole to grow up and learn to pitch to Sanchez if you're keeping Sanchez, and you got to get Sanchez on the right frame of mind. And it may be too late, cut bait, go somewhere else. You know, other teams like the Braves find catchers. The the, the Rays find catchers. You know, a few years ago, they found Darno, Zunino. Um, you can find catchers. Uh, they're out there. You just got to know what you're looking at. And the, the Yankees have to do a serious uh, – uh, they have to hire really good catching instructors. They had one many years ago in Gary Tuck, but he was ran out of the organization. Um, and, and so they need, so that's, that's, that's a big role for me. I think the White Sox have a catching coach. Certain teams have really good catching coaches. And, uh, so that's what I fix first. I fix up the middle, I add speed and I get Derek Cole to man up a little. And if you do that a little bit, you're a little bit better. And that Baez storyline is certainly going to be interesting because I don't know if, you know, if the Mets want Baez, you know, that's going to be a bidding war. I don't know if Steve Cohn would want to lose that one. So that that's going to be a very interesting storyline. Uh, before we let you go, just one quick question on the Mets. And you did mention um, about Carlos Beltran. Uh, one of the things that, you know, obviously Theo Epstein's out completely already. Um, one of the, the talks is that they maybe would bring in a tandem of Billy Bean and Bob Melvin. Uh, that would cost compensation because they're both still under contract. I'm surprised that these two, if you're going in that tandem direction because you want a, a manager that can work well with a GM, this tandem kind of checks all the boxes for me, and I wanted to get your feeling on it, especially because you know one of them very well. I am shocked they have not heard the name Sabian and Bochi mentioned at all. Do you think that would be a good fit for the Mets? Well, I, I know them both very well, actually, and um... – Actually, in 2010, I told Sabian, you're going to win. Through, I was covering him in the playoffs. 
and it's on record and, and uh, you know, you can ask Sabian about it. I told him in 2010, he was going to win three of the next five world series. And he told me I was crazy. And I said, no, I just see it. You guys know what you're doing as a baseball organization. You have the talent. And, and if you remember back then, you know, Posey was a young player. Yep. Uh, Madison Bumgarner was just kind of, I said, I know you got this kid Bumgarner. You're going to find, you're going to find hole. And they did, they found the Scooteros of the world and things like that to make themselves good. They're a great tandem. I think both guys would love it because um, I don't forget Sabian grew up under Steinbrenner. The, you know, mm-hmm. he still loves it. He, he spent five minutes with Brian Sabian. He'll break into a George Steinbrenner story. The boss, he loves the boss. Um, do they want to do it and, and, and kind of pick up their lives and go East coast? I think they would, but I, I just don't think there's that create what you just say is very creative and, and Boach I've known Boach super, you know, I've known Boach forever. And, uh, these are two competitive guys. I remember covering them, uh, you know, and Kevin Towers too, you know, he came from that, from that tree. And, um, you know, I remember Towers and Bochy in spring training games. If they beat Buck, uh, Walters Diamondbacks, they were like thrilled giving high fives. That's, that's, you're talking about the, uh, and Bochy needed a year to get his back right and some other things physically. Um, I think he'd be a great, uh, a great addition, and don't forget, Louis Louis Rojas is very close to Bochy as well. So, so yeah. he he could almost he could give him that he can give him that primer. You keep Louis Rojas in the organization. He can give Bochy in a primer. What's really wrong? Let Bochy handle the situations. Nobody's better at a bullpen than Bochy. Uh, and that would be to me that would be a genius move. Would would, would they make it? I doubt it. I, I don't know, if Sandy. Sandy. First of all, Sandy doesn't like Bochi. Sandy was the one who got rid of Bochi. I remember Bochi telling me the story uh, when he was with the Giants that, you know, he had a great year with the Padres. He's going out to lunch with Sandy thinking he's going to get an extension, like a good extension. And, and, and all of a sudden, they just like only offered one year or, or hardly nothing. And so Bochi said, uh, do you mind if I make a call? And then, uh, you know, basically he got in touch with Sabian and about 10 minutes later, he was hired by the Giants and the rest is history. So so I don't see Sandy going in that direction. Um, and I don't see Cohen having the uh, the the, uh, the the wherewithal to go in that direction. Uh, I think he'll still rely on Sandy to some degree, unless he's totally cut Sandy out of it, which is a possibility. You know, the reason he hired Sandy was to get Sandy um, Sandy was basically put into place as a good baseball, you know, he knows baseball people. So he was put into place to, 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 to kind of keep like almost like a governor on a motorcycle, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that to keep Cohen from going crazy and just blowing up the salary structure. And, uh, and, uh, and also Sandy's son is still in that organization has a high title, a pretty high title. I'm sure Sandy wants to see that to continue. And, um, um, I see them going in another direction, but that, that would be, if they, if I'm Steve Cohen and I have all the money in the world and I know I deal in art and, and what really, you know, <laughs> you know, one of his, one of his good friends is Jeffrey Loria. Don't forget. And, um, um, so, so he deals in art. He knows how art just, you gotta have the, you gotta have the masters to be successful in art. You know, you gotta have good stuff. Unless uh, and I don't want to get into politics, unless you happen to be a president's son and you're doing something, but um, the um, uh, you know that would be a brilliant move. I would have I would definitely have that lunch because Bochy loves his wine as well. You know he's a, he's a kind of sore of wine, and uh, I'm sure he could have a good time with Steve Cohen. I would investigate that, but it's the Mets. It'll never happen. 
<laughs> he is a former Met too. So that, that would be the former Met that I would choose. But uh, Kevin, thanks for an absolute, I mean, you know, I think, you know, this was an absolutely fascinating hour talking baseball as it always is. And uh, that's one of the things I did miss this year, you know, not seeing you at, at City Field uh, as much. You know, I, I didn't see you at all this year, I don't believe, but um, I do, do miss no, that. Wasn't. But but I do look forward to your Ball 9 articles. Tell everyone where they can find it if they haven't already. Yeah, Ball9.com. Actually, I wrote today. I, I, again, I, sometimes I do the pieces like the Yankees where I don't make, I don't make friends. Uh, I just tell it like it is. But also, today I did a piece. I look back on the 2008 draft where the Giants got uh, Busty Posey, Buster Posey with the fifth pick and Brandon Crawford with the 117th pick. And I know John Bard, who was a scouting director at the time. I tracked him down yes, yesterday at a game in Milwaukee where he was doing some – he's a senior advisor for, for, for them, uh, still the Giants. And, uh, you know, he gave me his thoughts on that draft. It's a, it's a, cap, it's a fascinating captive. It's a good baseball story. And also, Mark, let me mention, I also write for uh, Aaron Rodgers' people reached out to me. He has a, a wonderful new website. Uh, let me get this straight. OS. DB Sports. That stands for Online Sports Database, kind of like the movie uh, thing, IMDB. Right. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. So I've done about five articles for them. Uh, so there's some good baseball pieces there, Online Sports Database as well. But Ball Nine, twice a week, I'm I'm writing there uh, and uh, tearing it up there. And so yeah, Ball Nine dot com, B A L L N I N E. Easy to remember. Awesome. Kevin, as always, thanks so much for coming on with us. Okay, Mark. Uh, glad you're doing well, and uh, we'll talk soon. The one and only Kevin Kernan.